It's an interesting time with both peril and promise. There's more than a thousand deaths a day from COVID-19, and yet several promising vaccines are in human trials. So who better to get an update on the situation than our friend, Dr. Marty Pops, the distinguished gastroenterologist, former Dean of UCLA's medical school and chair of Community Memorial Health Systems, the parent organization of Ojai Valley Community Hospital. Hello, Dr. Pops. Good morning. How are you? I'm fine, Brett. How are you? I'm great. Well, I just thought all this exciting news about uh, vaccine trials and who do I know that's more distinguished physician than yourself. And I was hoping you could give us a rundown on what's going on and how this might roll out and what all this is going to look like. I can name several hundred people who are more distinguished than I am, but I'm willing to go along. Well, with I don't. I'm. I don't know them. <laughs> I do know you. <laughs> okay, uh, where should we start? I've given a few talks about the uh, current status of the vaccine to uh, various groups around uh, the valley, <clears throat> and uh, things change virtually every day. Uh, so. Uh, you know, what would you like me to start with? What, what questions? Well, would maybe you like with to the, the Pfizer uh, vaccine is is that a a two stage? And oh, I've heard could be yeah. out as in production as soon as January. Okay, let me give you a little bit of a background here. The, the uh, according to the trackers that I've been following, uh, NIH, uh, New York Times, uh, CDC, and so forth, there are right now thirty nine vaccines that are in phase one, which is the uh, testing just the safety and dosage. In phase two, where they do expanded safety trials, there are 16 vaccines. Phase three, uh, which is much more advanced, they're use, using thousands of people. Uh, there are vaccines in large-scale efficacy tests. And uh, finally, uh, there are none yet approved uh, anywhere by, uh, by the FDA. The uh, Pfizer story is interesting because uh, it's one of the kinds of vaccines that is <clears throat> very interesting in terms of the bioengineering. Uh, what they've done is that they've uh, used the messenger RNA, which is uh, the, the guts of the virus. Yeah. And they uh, have uh, uh, used that as the antigen and uh, have gotten a very nice antibody response. Uh, there, uh, I would think that as far as the virus goes, the uh, the best thing about the, uh, the the Pfizer is that they're further along than anybody else. It's in the class of genetic vaccines, and since it's messenger RNA, <clears throat> the uh, 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 they've already done about 43, they've enlisted about 43,000 people in the United States uh, for uh, testing. And then on just on uh, November 8th, uh, they uh, put uh, uh, out that the uh, trial was very successful. Uh, yeah, I heard they, 90% efficacy. Right. But that with a relatively small number of patients, they, uh, yeah, the first like 94 that. cases of COVID-19 in the trial yielded the 90% uh, results. I mean, in other words, 94 people got, got the virus and, uh, but as demonstrated by antibodies and, uh, only, uh, 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 nine people became ill. 
So that's about uh, uh, 90 percent success. Yeah. When you figure what was it we were talking uh, months ago about the the herd immunity percentage being like around 50, 60 percent or something. Yeah, it's it been revised way upwards. Oh, it, it has. Should, should, should be about 80 or 85 percent. And that gets into the uh, general discussion about the vaccines in general. You can talk about these things in three ways. Uh, first, you can talk about the science, which is fascinating to me. Second, you can talk about the business aspects because uh, many countries have pre-ordered uh, literally billions of doses from the various companies, uh, even before any of them are approved. And uh, the third thing you can talk about, which is equally fascinating as another whole podcast, is the uh, political implications of yeah. these viruses. Yeah, how do so, we roll them out? That's right. And not only that, uh, the, the efficacy about rolling them out. These messenger RNA vaccines, Pfizer is one. And uh, Moderna, people hear about yeah, that. Yeah, that's the one I've been hearing about. Is right behind. Uh, that's also messenger RNA. And the companies don't tell you exactly how they bioengineer these, but uh, there's about 30,000 people participating yeah. in the Moderna study, uh, including 77,000 people 65 years or older. Uh, they uh, are going to wait until they have a significant number of uh, uh, volunteers before uh, becoming sick or not becoming sick before uh, giving their results out. So that'll be probably after the first year. Uh, these are both messenger RNA, the way that uh, it's a very unstable thing. And they have to freeze the vaccine at minus 80 degrees Celsius. Yeah, That's, which uh, means liquid nitrogen, probably. 112 degrees Fahrenheit. So beyond the capacity of uh, most freezers. Uh, and uh, when they, you, if you get a freezer like that, uh, you have to transport it, and they will have to transport it in dry ice, packed in dry ice, uh, just before they give the injection. Uh, there are two injections that they've been giving uh, three weeks apart uh, with very good antibody response and very little in the way of side effects uh, for any of these messenger RNA vaccines. Is that typical for RNA vaccines? Are they generally pretty low in the, in the side effects or... Well, yeah. there haven't been any before. Oh, really? This is a whole new field. Wow. Yeah. So this is a fascinating part of it, but uh, it's an unstable kind of a thing unless you freeze it really, uh, really, really yeah. cold. So that's going to be the big problem in terms of distributing this uh, this uh, vaccine. And uh, that applies to both the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine? And the Pfizer. Yeah. And, a, and a few others as well. Uh, there's also hope for uh, uh, vaccine or through using a viral vector. And that is, uh, this is another interesting bioengineering thing. It's not uh, genetic, but they uh, use a virus uh, uh, such as an adenovirus, which is a frequent cause of the common cold. Yeah. And what they do is they put, inject coronavirus genes into this adenovirus and inject that. And uh, Johnson & Johnson is the one that's doing that. Uh, and uh, they have done this with other uh, viral diseases with some success. They developed vaccines for Ebola and uh, some other diseases. And the beautiful thing about that is it only requires one dose instead of two. 
and you don't have to freeze it. Oh, well, that will be a bit for the infrastructure part of uh, rolling this out. That's very important. Yeah. Uh, the other company that's way out ahead on that uh, using the various uh, virus vectors is uh, AstraZeneca, which everybody's heard of. And they've got a chimpanzee adenovirus, uh, which uh, does uh, uh, have uh, shares things with the uh, uh, coronavirus and causes a pretty good immune response, at least in their early testing. So you know, there's a lot of lot lot going on, and uh, yeah, there uh, sure is. It sure is. One of the things that I, that I'm uh, most fascinated by, and you may may have heard about this on the radio or TV, is that the uh, <clears throat> there's a company called uh, Medago Mediago in Canada, and they use a species of tobacco to make a vaccine. They inject hmm. virus genes into their leaves of the tobacco plant, the kind of plant they use, I'm not sure. Then the plant uh, can create its own protein shells that mimic the virus. And then that becomes the vaccine. So yeah. this would be this would be a totally safe thing to do. And they've they've already signed a great big contract with the Canadian government for delivery of millions of those doses oh so they're they're very confident yeah yeah it's a, it's a good company wow so um, then yeah this, what is uh, this? this sorry go yeah. ahead sorry. i'm just wondering this, about the time frame uh we're talking about really the fastest uh, will probably be the uh the pfizer uh probably a little bit after the first year maybe just before the first year the uh, others probably uh, strung out over the various times during 2021 into 2022. Yeah, so I imagine the first doses are going to go probably towards like your organization, like uh, Community Memorial Health Systems, or uh, yeah, you know. they, they they're developing the, uh, the 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 new task forces that started by uh, 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 President-elect Biden. And they're already talking about, uh, they've got some very good people on them. They're talking about priorities. And the first group would be the frontline healthcare workers. That's the doctors and nurses that are actually taking care of these patients. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, so it could be as early as the end of January. You think that could be uh, at least reducing the spread through that vector, through the, the healthcare yeah. system. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Dr. Fauci is very positive about that, and uh, he uh, he's gone on record as saying that he's hoping it'll happen uh, just before the uh, turn of the of the first first of the year, right after. Yeah, well, I think he's uh, still the most respected, uh, one of the most respected public figures in America, and you you have some experience with him. I understand that you you're yeah. you're acquainted. Can you tell us about? About that actually, actually we were on a first name basis when he came, he came to UCLA uh, he uh, was a young recently appointed uh, head of uh, immunoregulation at the NIH at the uh, National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease which is under the NIH and uh, he came because we uh, at UCLA had this uh, published the first reports of the uh, immunodeficiency problem uh, which we originally called GRID, which was uh, uh, 
uh, serious infections in young gay males. Oh, and so yeah. we we called it GRID. It was uh, gay related immunodeficiency, and that would have been uh, like the supposed sarcoma and yeah, all these other pneumosis- weird things we haven't seen. Yeah, that's right. Pneumocystis pneumonia. Kaposi's sarcoma, a variety of uh, tuberculosis uh, kinds of strains. Uh, so really, we haven't seen a lot of that since because the, uh, the antiretroviral drugs are so good. We still don't, have, still don't have a cure for AIDS, but we certainly have ways of Yeah, the way I've heard it explained to me is it's similar to managing diabetes or something like that, your T-cell count. Yeah. And that exactly. uh, there's people that are having you know, flourishing lives with the virus that they've been able to uh, manage it. Yeah. Yeah. The best example is Magic Johnson since uh, early 1990s. Yeah. He doesn't seem to be suffering too much. No. (laughs) Yeah. So um, this was, must be early 80s. Dr. Fauci was just embarking on his career. What can you tell us about him? Well, he... uh, we got talking uh, as doctors do, you know, where'd you go to medical school and so forth and so on. He graduated from Cornell Medical School. He had been to Holy Cross. He's a New Yorker all the way. Oh, yeah. You can New hear that, that accent. He's got yeah. that great blue collar accent. It's just, that's love, right. I love that. And uh, he, uh, uh, he uh, was, uh, uh, did his residency at Cornell Medical Center. And then uh, after he finished his residency uh, in infectious disease and immunology, he then uh, hired on at the uh, National Institute of uh, Allergy and Infectious Disease, where he's gone up the ladder and now uh, runs the place. Uh, So he's had a long, long distinguished career as an immunologist. He's written a lot of papers uh, and he got interested in viral disease early on. He's published a lot of papers on influenza, on Ebola, uh, now on AIDS, uh, and uh, also uh, on uh, the coronavirus. The interesting thing he said about uh, recently about it is that it should be a virus that is very easy to make a vaccine for, uh, given its characteristics. And that seems to be happening. Because this is so much faster than the usual window, which I understand is three, four, five years to get a vaccine in the pipeline. And here we are, not even a year, and they've already got great trials, Uh, you know, thousands of people, and it's it's close. Many, many thousands around the world and uh, many countries. Uh, I would say that the the fastest before this was... uh, I was looking this up. I think mumps, the vaccine for mumps, was the fastest on record before this, and that took four and a half years. Goodness. So, so they, yeah. we've got the. Uh, I think the medical infrastructure and in the, in the the lab have just improved so, so much that it gives a better uh, better science by leaps and bounds. Yeah. Yes. Well, I I felt like this. Um, I don't know. I'm not going to get into all the election stuff, but I felt like the public health uh, infrastructure was under attack, like they were being politicized or, you know, uh, denigrated in a way that that uh, I don't think I've ever seen before. 
And it's just like right. these, these uh, I remember, I don't know who it was. It was George H.W. Bush or somebody. They were asking him about, there was some attack on bureaucracy. And he said, well, not all of them. And then he mentioned Anthony Fauci. And this would have been like in the 80s or late 80s, early 90s. That's right. Most. It was like, yeah, here's. So even, even you know, 30, 30 plus years ago, he was recognized as an outstanding public servant. That's right. I think he served under like seven presidents or something like that. Yeah. And he's been an administrator for a lot of that time, but he still does the, the science. And am I right? Yes. Yeah, I think he still, I don't think he has his own lab, but he certainly uh, directs the uh, output from several labs at the uh, NIAMD. Yeah, really uh, impressive. Uh, it makes me feel uh, much more confident when I know that competent people who understand how to mobilize resources and get the supply chains going and when you got those people that are on the, on the job and that it's not yeah. uh, uh, the yeah, so I, I feel we're in a much better position than uh, I was expecting that we'd be at this this point in time. Frankly, they they yeah. told us it was going to take a while. I thought they, we're a lot on the third wave now, as I understand. There was another bump up in back in July and August, and now this was supposed to be the second wave, but it's actually the third wave because the response has been right. so inconsistent and and the. Uh, the messaging hasn't been good. And I'll tell you just a, what, one thing that I think about um, because, well, I hear it different sources, is that there's another part of the message that people haven't been getting out. And that's, you know, taking care of yourself, getting getting mm-hmm. sunshine and exercise. And uh, that not only boosts your immune system, but it gives you the resiliency to get over it if you do get it. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. And I don't see much of the, that out there. Well, the other thing is that, you know, is the uh, the compliance with the public health measures and so forth and so on. Yeah. Uh, why is the virus is, is, is swarming? It's all over. It's worse now than ever was. Yeah. Every day is worse and, than the day before. Right. And uh, short of going into a lockdown, uh, if uh, people would just do the simple things and mainly wear masks, uh, it would uh, come down, and we might have a little breathing room before the virus yeah, come online. Yeah, good, in- interesting choice of words for a respiratory yeah, disease. Room. Yeah, but the mm-hmm. uh, you know I I keep hearing I know a lot of people who are. I, I, anti-maskers, I don't know it's a better way to put it, but they, they keep t- coming up with this, oh, well, you got the CO2 recirculation and blah, 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 and they have all this science sounded stuff, but then you're like, well, wait a minute, I thought this was a waterborne vapor, isn't that why the it blocks the, the cloth, blocks the transmission from spreading around, and that it's, it's not gas, and this gas is permeable, it just goes uh, I mean, there's so much half truths and misinformation out there that just just really disturbs me. I don't know why it's being com- you know compliant with public health orders become like tyranny or or something. Well, we've got the problem. The political problem is that uh, you know we had a president that uh, said it's all going to go away by itself. Uh, who didn't wear doesn't wear a mask, and there's a lot of people that uh, use him as their role model, 
the mask uh, originally, uh, I think the CDC is responsible for some of this. Originally, we were being told the mask doesn't protect you, but it protects others. Uh, because uh, it, uh, you're, 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 it's a droplet infection. You cough, you sneeze, and droplets get in the air. Uh, subsequent to that, when it's uh, been shown that the mask is also protective to a, a certain extent uh, for you, uh, and mostly indoors, the virus may go into an aerosol phase. In other words, you don't, don't see any droplets at all, but it just stays in the air. Yeah, and can hang in the air for quite a while, I understand. Right. And uh, I've talked to a lot of people who said uh, they would never go into a restaurant now uh, indoors uh, until this is all settled. Because of the hanging in the air. And you see that they've allowed yeah. people the seating of 50% capacity and, and it's, uh, uh, you know, people aren't wearing masks. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's, it's, so that's the air, what they're called aerosolized, aerosolized, yeah. and that's uh, that's a big problem right now. So it's like clouds <coughs> of this floating around in public spaces, and they're yeah. coming through, and then it takes. It's a very virulent, isn't it? Just like a pretty much, like you see these super spreader events, and pretty much everybody there gets it, or a that's very right. high percentage. Yeah, I was shocked. Shocked to hear what happened to the uh, dozens of uh, Secret Service people that have come down with the virus. They've tested positive in the last week uh, who were on the president's uh, uh, various uh, rallies. Yeah, the super spreader uh, rallies. Yeah, yeah. And that's really, that's very sad. And uh, it's, I think it's irresponsible. Yeah, it's reckless. Yeah. And you can see how, oh, not to get too deep in the weeds, but it worked to a certain degree because this is the highest turnout. Uh, you have to hand it to President Trump that he's managed to turn this his incompetence around on this issue to make it, you know, this stark choice between whatever it is, the dark web of tyranny and socialism versus, you know, freedom. And it's uh, really kind of disturbing because that's ironic that he talks about freedom when he's an authoritarian. <laughs> yeah, interestingly, uh, I've seen some data on this that uh, in polls, uh, people that voted for Biden voted for him because of the pandemic. Yeah. And the people that voted for Trump voted for him because uh, of his uh what they thought was uh, the uh, his financial acumen. Yes, that he'd get us, you know, he get got the economy going and then uh he'd be the one to get it going again and uh so if if you're a democrat you got to give credit to the coronavirus for helping uh, your man get uh, elected yeah that's true <laughs> but also i was just surprised that the coronavirus also helped drive up uh trump's base and numbers they didn't even really know were there save the senate that's at right. least and it's been a very interesting season but I'm curious about what we know about the virus and its side effects and its long-term consequences because we're still learning stuff. I, I think I showed you that uh, link from a Lancet Journal piece about one, or one out of five coronavirus survivors get some form of mental illness within 90 days. And that's like yes. a, a kind of a yeah. broad definition of mental illness because 
you know, you would expect a certain number of them just to be depressed by, you know, the assault on their, their corpus, you know, their, their bodies, like that's going to be depressing. Well, well, the psychological uh, side effects uh, or the lasting uh, are mostly in the area of PTSD. Yeah. And uh, a lot of these people had previous histories of depression or uh, anxiety uh, or, or whatever. Uh, uh, away from the mental part of it, which is significant, uh, there's also a significant number of people who, uh, after they clear the virus, uh, have uh, chronic uh, cough. They have uh, some fibrosis in their lungs. Uh, they may develop uh, strokes or cardiac uh, problems because the virus likes the what we call the endothelium, that is the inner lining of blood vessels. Yeah. And uh, when it's been cleared, it sometimes it leaves scarring. So uh, that's scary that there would be people who get chronic lung disease like emphysema or pulmonary fibrosis uh, that will go on for years after the uh, they clear the virus. Yes, and uh, we don't even really know. There may be other other things going on in there too, but they, the, they have a term for that uh, fibrosis that's very scary, and I can't remember something about glassy something or... Ground glass lungs. Ground glass lungs, yeah. Can yes. you explain yeah. that a little bit? Well, that's what it, what the appears the what the X ray appearance is. It looks like ground glass. Yeah, which is, doesn't sound healthy. No, it's a kind of a pneumonia, and then the sequel is uh, uh, to the pneumonia is that the lung looks like gl- ground glass on the X ray, and that's from damaged tissue. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Oh. So, uh, what about locally? Have you heard? I know that you. Uh, Got a lot of experience with the local health infrastructure through your job with uh, your former service as the chair of the Community Memorial Health Systems, which includes Ohio Valley Hospital, but also with the, um, you know, well, let's just, I'll let you, I'll let you tell us, tell us what's going on. Well, we're watching things very closely. Uh, Ventura County in general has been uh, uh, pretty fortunate. Uh, We've had our share of cases. I think the total number of cases since the beginning has been about 17,000. Most have recovered without very much in the way of uh, sequela. Uh, At the present time, uh, we are uh, just having very few patients that are coming in sick enough to be put in the ICU. Uh, Just look the other day for Ojai Hospital and for Community Memorial Hospital, our partner, uh, at that point, uh, I don't think there was any one patient that was on a ventilator. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad to hear that because it doesn't take a lot to overwhelm the, the right infrastructure. So, uh, I think they're doing a pretty good job, but you know, still the, Oh, I'm sorry. Sequela. I didn't get that. Um, what is that? What is sequela? After effects. Sorry to use a funny, uh, $10 word. But that would include like <laughs> ground glass syndrome, or yeah, you're right, <sighs> yeah, uh, or in PTSD would be yeah. a sequela of that. Okay, uh, so you feel like there's we're doing a pretty good job of spreading them out and flattening the curve and keeping it from bunching up too many cases to overwhelm the ventilators and 
but I, so far, yeah. but you know, the Governor Newsom has the this color code. Have you heard about that for the? I uh, think Paris I have, counties? but I don't, don't know exactly. Uh, the the where you have to take the most precautions and where the most restrictions for you know closing bars and restaurants and gyms and so forth is the purple. And we came out of the purple a few weeks ago, but it looks like we're going to go back into the purple. We're in the red. And they were able to open up some restaurants and bars and so forth and gyms. But my understanding is in the next few days, we've gone to a case rate of uh, greater than seven per 100,000. They, they look at the number of cases per 100,000. Right now, we're doing 7.2 cases per 100,000, which means that unless that changes real quickly, we go back up in the purple. And then there's a back to restrictions that uh, are pretty, uh, pretty, uh, uh, I would say, stringent. Yeah, I think uh, it's going to be tough for, you know, the business climate in Ohio is really taking a bruising because, you know, those are those are my customers, my clients. I know those people and I share their struggles as well. And it does seem like there's both good and bad. One of the interesting consequences and i'm sure you've noticed this especially on weekends just on your going through town is a lot there's a lot of people coming coming through ojai and i know I was on the board of the land conservancy and we had a crisis just right after you know the back in the end of april and through most of the summer because mm-hmm. people were just swarming the preserve the you know the land conservancy preserves like especially the swimming hole on ventura yeah. river and leaving trash and baby diapers and beer bottles and it was just really really bad so we had to hire security to keep people away from the preserves which is antithetical to our mission we want people to enjoy the preserves and join us in protecting them but it's just too much uh, too much wear and tear and there's people aren't there to to hike or bike or you know walk their dogs or you know those activities they're there to party Mm-hmm. And that took took a lot of education. And finally, you know, the complaints from the neighbors along the river bottom with all these cars parking there, it was a zoo. So I hope we don't get back into that situation again. I don't, I don't think we will. I think we're a little better adapted and maybe our supply chains are sturdier so we don't run out of toilet paper and all the rest of this. If we do go back down into a lockdown, but it's it's hard. I mean, I can understand why people are so reluctant to to get to that point. And it just seems like there's a lot we can do to keep us from getting into a place where we do have to shut down and just basic sanitary principles, just keeping your hands washed and keeping wearing your mask and all the rest of that. It's yeah. just like, I just hope we uh, start getting a little smarter, better messaging and better, uh, you know, social uh, compliance. I think that, you know, there's also a lot of people that think that this is a conspiracy. Yeah, that and, came out of a lab in Wuhan. Yeah, and that the Chinese uh, uh, foisted this upon us. <clears throat> and I, uh, 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 yeah, that's all, those are also the people that say, I'm not going to wear a mask and uh, I'm not really going uh, to take a vaccine when it's out. So, uh this is a thing we have to get over. We're not going to get anywhere near herd immunity where we have this much kind of resistance uh, to what uh, really is the, uh, uh, the scientific facts, the real, the real truth. 
Well, I was much uh, relieved to, to hear the transition teams, uh, you know, President-elect naming this task force because it seems like there, there's the there's some, some scientists, there's uh, public health professionals that are going to be able to manage this crisis a lot more smoothly than than denial or conspiracy yeah. and all these other other things that do get people stirred up and it you know it gets them gets them out, but it doesn't uh, save anyone. I mean, it's been pretty bad. A quarter million people we've lost in a. You know, there's a lot of well. For example, we have a story in the next issue, the quarterly that Mark Lewis has prepared, and as you probably know, he's a, a superb journalist. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. But we don't know these people who died from Ojai with COVID. But we will after this issue comes out because you know these are actual people who had lives and loved ones, and it didn't seem right to let them go without acknowledging. That they were here, and yes. I look at this ten of them. I pretty much know every one of them who, who died. Yeah, mm -hmm. like uh, pretty well some of them, and I did not know uh, at least a couple of them that they had died of COVID. And I'm seeing in obituaries and other things somebody somebody dies, and then there's always that not COVID in there. They feel obligated to put that in these obituaries, but in this case, these are. You know, the cases here that um, people who lived here a long time and it's just like I'm, I'm, I'm glad for people to see that story when it comes out, because I think it's uh, we have a lot of reckoning to do with this pandemic and, and the human toll uh, is, a, is a big part of that to, to wrap our minds around what we've lost, the ones that got left behind. Well, you were a baseball player and I was, too. Uh, I've uh, likened this to. Right now, we're in about the uh, second or third inning of a nine-inning yeah. game. Uh, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> we got a while. Probably going to have to change pitchers uh, somewhere in there, get some right. middle middle relievers in, and it's going to be a haul. Yeah. Well, I, speaking, I know that you're a sports fan. I wanted to talk about uh, what you think as a as a fan of the college sports and the professional sports and how it's been handled and. What what's your take on on this? Uh, I think one one description would be reckless. Uh, mm -hmm. I saw today that the Alabama game has been postponed or or canceled, and the Ohio State game has been canceled for today. So those are the two biggest games because of the oh, yeah. uh, of, of positive tests. Interestingly, that there have been a number of positive tests, but no athlete that I'm aware of has died. Uh, nor have I heard of anybody, may, maybe it's just been not publicized, but nor have I heard of any athlete uh, who has really, really been sick, but they test positive. They have uh, 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 mild or no symptoms. They get over it and they go back to uh, whatever they were doing. But they're playing with fire. The uh, uh, question is whether or not they're going to be able to complete the college football season. Uh, there's also the question of whether they're going to be able to complete the pro uh, season and uh, uh, whether or not we're going to get to a, to a Super Bowl or not in February. Yeah, just when my bills are showing some signs of life. Of yeah, they're good. They're come. good. That's a, that's a great quarterback. They, they've got this. Oh, that this, Josh Allen is yeah. a hustler. That guy's a old-fashioned gunslinger. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. He's really fun to watch. Um, yeah, I was in uh, Jackson Hole last year, like with the playoff games and right around Christmas or just after Christmas. And I saw these Josh Allen hats and Buffalo Bills jerseys. And I'm like, why in Wyoming? And it took me a while to put it together. Oh, that's where Josh Allen went to school. <laughs> and that felt great. I felt like I was in, in Bill's territory, except not a stinky industrial wasteland, but this beautiful mountain paradise, you know. Who was the great quarterback that, for the Bills uh, years ago? Well, there's been a few. I don't know if Jack Kemp, the politician, vice presidential candidate. He was a yeah. Buffalo Bills quarterback. Uh, Daryl LaMonica was actually a backup quarterback for the Bills for a while. I think you're probably thinking of like uh, Kelly. Yeah. Machine, Machine Kelly. Gun Kelly. Jim Kelly. Yeah, yeah. Who, is a, who is a great competitor. Well, they went to four yeah, championships. No, no team has ever done that. It's gone to four Super Bowls. And, and they ended up losing every one. Yeah. <laughs> two of them, they got. They should have won two, but it was just like really, uh, you know, thirty years ago, and I'm still not over it. <laughs> but I think uh, basketball has done a wonderful. Well, compared to the other sports, or at least that's my impression. And frankly, I really don't know all that much about it. But creating a, a bubble for the players to play inside of this, this bubble, I think was a, an interesting decision. And I don't know, is it, did it work out? I don't think there were any I don't major outbreaks they, that came out of the NBA. I don't, I don't think that, I think no, no one, no, no player ever tested positive once they went into the bubble. Yeah. I heard there were some people that snuck out, you know, brought it back in maybe, but they were, they seem to have managed it very well, and I mean, it was a kind of, it was an exciting season. I'm sure. Yeah. Are you a Lakers fan? Yeah, very much. So that was, you know, a uh, validation of all their hopes of bringing LeBron to Los Angeles. It took a bit of a while, but it was worth it, I guess, if you're a Lakers fan. Mm -hmm. I've yeah. had uh, I've had just uh, as far as my interest in sports. A wonderful year. 2020 has been a bad year for most people. For me, it's been great as far as sports. Yeah, it's a Dodgers fan. My Dodgers <laughs> and the Lakers. Yeah, I feel great for um, uh, Kershaw, Clayton Kershaw, the, the future Hall of Fame pitcher, because he had that loser stank on him in the postseason, and he, he got rid of that and yeah. proved himself uh, worthy uh, You know, for the annals of, of baseball, I think. I'm didn't really have, happy for him. Didn't he have two wins in the World Series? Is that right? I'm not. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, that sounds yeah. sounds right. But I'm not a Dodgers fan. My brother is a huge Dodgers fan, but I root for them when it gets because you know I'm a National League guy, so I'm going to be rooting forever. The National League team is. I just tell you, just as an aside, uh, my wife found it on the internet. My I now have a mask. This is uh, Dodgers world champions. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I would wear that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, also UCLA, I'm not sure what's going on with the Bruins uh, sports. Uh, can you tell me about that? A lot of, lot of Bruin fans in, in the Ojai area. Yeah. They, uh, and I've got a lot of friends who went to SC. I went to UCLA. 
we have a lot of fun uh, teasing each other. Yeah. It look, looks like SC's going to have a stronger team than the Bruins. The Bruins, uh, the AP poll picked the Bruins uh, fourth in the Southern Division of, of six or seven teams. I can't <laughs> remember what. <laughs> and, and they picked uh, SC first. Uh, how it will work out, we don't know. They've each played one game, SC won. It reminded me of the old days when they called them the cardiac kids. Yeah. They, they won in the last minute or so. And uh, the Bruins lost. Uh, uh, they have no defense. They got a good offense, no defense. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, I also wonder what's going to happen closer to home with uh, tennis. In the Ojai tennis tournament, we're going to end up with no the Ojai two years in a row. That's like a big part of our you know, image identity is, is the tennis tournament. What do you hear from the uh, people that are involved with that? Nobody's saying, nobody's has any plans. They're not, they're not uh, making any decisions at this point. Uh They're just uh, hoping that uh, they can pull it off in some, some way. I think if they're able to get at least some vaccine in a pipeline and a few other things, they could probably pull off some version of it. And hopefully, right. you know, all these uh, Pac-12 players, that's their big showdown. This is like their, um, you know, their battlefield for their for Pac-12 tennis. Well, it's the end of April. Uh, it can be postponed, I guess, uh, for a little while. Uh, and we might have something by then. Yeah, I think that would be really, really helpful. Really great for Ojai and just everybody to come together, you know, again in public spaces and enjoy that communal feeling because, uh, you know, I miss it. Oh, boy, I sure do. Yeah, I mean, live music, it just seems like a million years ago. (laughs) I mean, really, it's been just the way that this pandemic has disrupted so much of everything that we take for granted is really going to take us a a while and i'm afraid the cultural memory of it's going to be very short that you know 10 12 years from now we'll just have some dim memory of oh what was that all about you know (laughs) it's can i can i wax philosophical we are we are human beings we are social animals absolutely and being being deprived of being able to socially interact is uh is very bad very pathological I think it, it is uh, just the, all of us are going to suffer some some damages and, uh, you know, and that isolation, it's just not healthy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, you know, how until we get the vaccine all the way through the, you know, the people, it's not going to not going to happen. We're not going to have, you know, back to any kind of old normal. Well, that gets us back to the vaccine. But every day I hear from people I know say, I'm not going to take the vaccine. And my question is, why not? And they said, well, uh, first of all, I don't know if it's going to be safe. And second, uh, I don't think I'm ever going to come in contact with the virus. So uh, there's this uh, this uh, uh, feeling abroad that uh, uh, you don't need to do it. If the vaccine compliance rate is uh, not better than 90%, but let's say 85%, uh, then we're not going to really get this vaccine, behind this uh, coronavirus behind us. 
yeah, we've got to do better messaging and, and, uh, well, I'm not one to talk. I must ruefully admit I have not got my flu vaccine yet. Uh, And I'm going to get on the list right away. I don't, I don't mess around with the flu vaccine. One of the other things I've been curious about is it seems with the people distancing and mask wearing, what about just regular colds and respiratory syncytial virus and flus and all the rest of that? Are uh, they lower rates? Are they damped down because of this, the numbers? Do you know? I think it's too early to tell because we're not into the winter yet, which we have where we have most of it. But interestingly, uh, in terms of being able to predict in uh, Australia, uh, where they've completed their winter and now they're in uh, what spring, yeah. uh, the uh, the influence of the, uh, the the incidence of influenza was way lower than usual. Yeah, it stands to reason, doesn't it? Uh, that was. Because they're doing uh, social distancing, and uh, they had more people that took the influenza vaccine, which is looks like it's going to be pretty good this year. And by good, you mean like uh, I know some years the efficacy is like in the sixty percent range, which is still yeah. when you think about how much that reduces the R factor, you know, the R plus one or whatever. That's that's very important. But this year it's like a, yeah. uh, ninety or more which means it'll keep the numbers way way down yes yeah i think that the the public health aspect as well as the vaccine has been responsible for the success against influenza in australia uh, hopefully it'll happen here yeah well it's great that we have that uh, example to see how how it can be done another thing that kind of shocked me that i stumbled across recently is that china has basically been open for business since may something since mm-hmm. the middle of May. So that was partly a function of them getting the virus earlier, but it's also because as an authoritarian state, they track everybody's phones. So the contact right. tracing that goes on there, they could just swarm a, an outbreak and just get everybody quarantined and in a way that allowed everyone else just to kind of go about their business. And it's we can never like, do that here. No. Not only that, we were in in Hong Kong uh, a few years ago uh, in the middle of uh, what was an influenza outbreak. And I would say virtually 100% of the people that we saw on the streets, on the ferries, and the buildings and so forth were wearing masks. 100%. I never saw one Hong Kong resident that was not wearing a mask. Yeah, and that's Hong Kong. That's not mainland. So you can see that there's just a cultural... uh, uh, respect or uh, I don't know what you'd call it uh, compliance that goes along with uh, you know mm-hmm. there's a name for that for societies that are more unified like that I don't remember not homogenous but something like that they you know just are used to these sort of things and well compliant would be one way of talking about yeah compliant uh speaking of which i've been on your list do you have any of your uh, haikus it should be fun for us to uh to hear a couple of selections from from your, the pandemic haikus of dr marty pops of the hundreds that i've got yeah every day that's a great discipline <laughs> let's see what have i got i've got the uh uh 
weeks ago, I wrote the COVID virus. Be certain to stay away from people you like. Uh, is uh, another uh, you know you know how these uh, these uh, haikus work. It's uh, uh, five syllables in one line, seven syllables in the next line, and five in the third line. Total of seventeen. Yeah. So if you adhere to that, uh, I had one that uh, is uh, haiku mania is everywhere in the world now. Therapy for me, and it is every day. I sit down after I have a cup of coffee, and I uh, uh, either write a haiku or a limerick. I had one on reopenings. Uh, it said, "Be careful out there. The virus is waiting to pounce. We like we we will, which will give the case rate a bounce. Precautions are still a must. You alone are the best person to trust." Remember, a pound of cure, not as good as prevention, an ounce. <laughs> That's so true. So, yeah, I think you should collect them into a chapbook for, uh, you know, distribution around your the friends and family. Like, that's, that's uh, I'm, there's just like uh, this sense of, of dread and anxiety that when I saw that study in The Lancet, about 20% of people have some mental health consequences. And that's not just... PTSD related. There's people who are prone to schizophrenia that are having outbreaks and, and right. other other diseases just seems to really go to our state of mind. This this disease, the dread of it as well as the actual surviving it. It's really Well, what I read, uh, I think it was in the New England Journal, is that a lot of these people had a pre-morbid uh condition. Yeah. Like uh like PTS, not PTS, but, but uh, like uh, chronic anxiety, uh, bipolar disorder, and so forth. Those are people that uh, got a lot worse after the virus. Uh, yeah. That's the mental mental aspect. But I think there's no question that the uh, a significant number. I think the Lancet study was what they one of five yeah. uh, has some some diagnosable mental condition uh, after uh, recovering from the disease. Yeah, uh, I just can see how that would happen. That uh, makes sense to me. That that's going to exacerbate existing conditions, and and you know, if you don't have it, you're going to end up with just uh, living under this this shroud for so long. It's been really uh, really interesting how we come out of this. I'm much more hopeful now than I was a few months ago. I so saw we were getting into the summer and there was like uh, p- people getting out. And remember that uh, Sturgis uh, biker rally? Oh, the, the, mo- the motorcycle guys, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember I said there was like, you know, t- 2,000. There was actually over 200,000 cases that got traced back to, to one event. We're talking 20-some thousand bikers. But once they got right. back out into their communities... You know, that's like an R plus 10 or something. Yeah, that was the original really super spreader event. Yeah, that was really like if we could just kept those things from happening, just been able to keep that from getting out. It just seems like we'd be able to do a better job of, you know, containing these clusters. What's interesting now to me is that uh, our public health people are telling us they're worried about uh, mainly now family gatherings, not yeah, because of Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yeah, yeah. 
had yeah. uh, kids coming home from college, uh, other people coming into the into the into the uh, uh, into the home. Uh, what is it? Newsom's last uh, uh, guideline was uh, no more than three households getting together at any one place, uh, and then with all the precautions. Yeah, well, I hope we adhere to that at least to some degree to keep it from getting worse. Because I know young kids think that this they're you know immortal, but it isn't about them. It's about them transmitting the virus to their parents yeah. and grandparents. Yeah. So it, it strikes everywhere. My my granddaughter had it. Uh, it was mildly ill. She was in London, and mildly ill, and she got over it thankfully. When was without, this? She was uh, ill in, uh, I think, July. Okay. Yeah, my son got it early, like uh, early part of March. But there's like 600 people who worked in his office building and three doors. And that was uh, just swept through there before anybody really, before there were any stay-at-home orders or work work from home type stuff going on. And he, he got it bad. Like he just very fit. He... You know, he's a gym rat. He lifts weights. He plays sports. He was knocked out for over a month. Just every time he thought that he was good, he'd wake up feeling great. Then, you know, the next night he'd have the night sweats and the fevers, and then he'd just be knocked out for another week. How is he now? Seems to be fine. You know, I don't know. You know, he's 100% as far as back to, you know, his capacity for lifting weights and so forth. But I think he's a little more morose than he used to be. I think there's some, some uh, you know, he doesn't seem to be quite as cheerful as, as he was, even though the Bills are winning. Should be, should be <laughs> rallying around that. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, sir, you've been very generous with your time. I don't know. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about or tell people? We covered all my favorite topics. Okay. All right, Dr. <laughs> Pops. We'll uh, see you around the campus. All right. Take care, Brett. Just thinking out loud, talking sports with Dr. Pops reminded me of how much I'm missing the communal activities of the pre-pandemic world. The rituals and routines of people getting together, the live music, the sports. It's a shame, in a very real way, that Los Angeles, a sports-crazy town if there ever was one, is having such a banner year. The Lakers and Dodgers both won very impressive championships amid the fear and dread of this year. It's a real morale booster for a beleaguered city and its fans. Anyway, that's it for this episode of Ojai Talk of the Town. We'll keep an ear out for you. <laughs>